Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling. He's, he's about to play in his 10th Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were on the Chiefs. A lot of people had them winning it. What does he say? What do you remember? Is it is it just this rhetoric? Is it from the heart? What, what kind of thing does he say when he gets up in front of you guys? Yeah, it was a little bit of both, right? Like, it, so it's it's the rhetoric, you know? Like, it's, it's what he's saying. It's how he's saying, how passionate he is. You know, like, you can tell, like, he really means this. You know, like, he's talking about, like, you know, about the game and, like, you know, uh, honor and and what this game will will mean to everyone's legacy, you know, going out and winning this and being that team, you know, and and he's like like this is something that your grandkids are gonna are gonna be able to remember it and, and be taught, and it's just like he's so passionate, man. He's, and and you know, it's funny too because like he's basically been to ten Super Bowls at this point, and like he's still just as fired up. So we like like yo, like we got a roll, like like our time is now. Like he he really had us ready to go. Well, there's Bucks wide receiver Chris Godwin, of course, with Kyle Brandt, who you can see most mornings on the Good Morning Football Show. I like Kyle Brandt, Luke. I think he does a good job. Uh, and that clip, obviously, is Godwin breaking down Tom Brady's pregame Super Bowl speech. It'd be kind of fun to be a, a fly on the wall for that thing. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody somebody asked me after I wrote about that, like, if we will ever see video of that. And I feel like if we were ever going to see it, we would have seen it already. And that seems like something that's definitely just going to be for the people who were in that room. But uh you know, obviously you hear it in Godwin's voice too, man, you know, to, to be on that stage for the first time ever and to have somebody who understood the gravity of the moment, somebody who does not give you pre, you pregame speeches, but he picks that moment because he understands the gravity of it. And again, after being on that stage 10 times, it still felt like the first one for Brady as well, but with the benefit of all that experience and understanding what it took to win once you're there. And I mean, the rest was history, man. They went out and dominated just like they did the last time they went to the Super Bowl. I guess that's just their thing now. If the Bucks are in the Super Bowl, it's just going to be an ass whooping, I think. So, um, <laughs> love it. Love it. They're, they're two for two in that department. I don't care who's lining up with them. The old team, the new team, it, they were both really fun to watch. And, and to hear that Brady kind of took that moment to, to rally the troops, man, that's just that's fun stuff. It's always fun to start a program with uh, a reminder that the Bucks won the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's just kind of fun. Uh, but you know, at home, exactly at home. at home, just ridiculous, man. How that all came together. But uh, you know, we're we're actually we're a week away from the draft when this podcast drops, so we're finally we're finally home. And the countdown is officially on, Luke. As you know, I know your life is crazy with the draft wire stuff and all that, but it's it's kind of fun to look back in time a little bit, look at past draft classes. And you guys had a fun post on the Bucks Wire that I wanted to get into a little bit. It was the best picks of the Jason Light era. And you went all the way back to 2014 when, you know, he took Mike Evans. And you listed 16 guys on this slideshow of the best players in the Jason Light era. And you got Mike Evans on there. You got Jameis Winston, Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, Chris Godwin, Vita Vea, Carlton Davis, Alex Kappa, Jordan Whitehead, Devin White, Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, Mike Edwards, Scotty Miller, Trista Wirfs, Antoine Winfield. It's like 16 of these guys, 15 of them are still on the roster, and almost all those 15, Luke, started on the Super Bowl. So uh, I think what when you look back, I mean, every GM has hits and misses, right? But Jason Light... He's shown that you can still build through the draft, right? If you can get enough hits and keep them in your organization, the Bucks have hit on a lot of these players, and they've been able to keep them around, and that's been that's been kind of cool. So, so, what do you think about Jason Light, the GM? I think, and 
what stood out to you when you kind of went through that exercise of going through his past drafts? You know, it, it reminds me of something that he and I spoke about uh, a couple of months ago at his last press conference. We just spoke to him this week as well. But, you know, I kind of asked him, he's been very honest about his misses. I mean, he, he's never shied away from the fact that he had some really bad picks, especially early on. And, and you look at, you know, taking Vernon Hargraves in the first round, that whole 2016 class is just awful. And none of them are left on the team. Ryan Smith is the guy who stood around the longest. He was a special teamer for a long time and a really good one. But I mean, you trade up for Roberto Aguayo, right? You take Jameis Winston who ended up, you know, he's your franchise's leading passer, right? He did a lot of good things. I, I could never call that a bad pick because even if, if you go back, what are they going to do? Take Mariota? Is that a different story? I mean, it's not, you can't really, say that was a bad pick. The Bucks got a 5,000-yard passer out of it who set reset every record in the book for them. So, I mean, I still think that was a good pick. But like you said, he got better and better. And, and you know, I asked him earlier this offseason, what changed, basically? What, what's, you know, what allowed you to, to improve as a decision-maker, as a general manager, as an evaluator that, that led to the results that we've seen the last three, four years, the last three or four drafts where you guys are hitting – on all these picks over and over and building this foundation to the point where you have a team where Tom Brady says, Hey, that's where I can go and win a Super Bowl," And they did. So, and he, you know, he is very humble. Jason light is, and he, he deflected all the praise to the fact that his staff is just fantastic. And, and if anything, he said that he did for himself was to learn how to delegate. You know, he, he had to learn how to put really good, smart people in positions of power and then give them the, the ability in the room to do what they do well. Um, so, you know, Jackie Davidson, their director of football research, Mike Greenberg, their cap wizard guy, uh, Spytech, that whole front office is filled with people who have, you know, very defined roles, and they are allowed to do what they do well. He does not micromanage a whole lot. Um, he makes final calls and kind of sets the philosophy. He and Bruce Arians, obviously, with a great relationship and a clear understanding of what they want to do with this franchise. And I think that – has also been a big help. The best teams when it comes to drafting and developing players have a clear understanding of what their philosophy is and what it looks like to draft players that fit it. And I think as at, because the Bucks were patient with Jason Light through his kind of rocky stage of getting used to, remember, this is, this is his first GM job. So, you know, to be patient through those lean years, to get to the point where he could learn through and, and learn from those mistakes – and get to the point where he could be successful. You know, everybody involved ha- was invested in this, and, and it was cool last year to really see those results come to fruition. But look at the roster. It's all coming back. This team is still together, and most of them were because Jason Light has gotten so good at drafting. And the first guy on your list is Mike Evans, and that's probably not by accident. I think. Do you think he's the best pick of the Jason Light era? Yeah, I think, obviously, if you go chronologically, he's he's the pick because he was the first draft pick of, of Jason Light's era, you know, entire not, era. But Not bad. N- but not bad, right? I, it's hard. It, it's kind of sad when you can't beat that pick. But, I, you know, we've talked about this before. I think Mike Evans is on pace to be an NFL Hall of Famer. Again, the only guy to start his career with seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. He's still only 27. Um, you know, he's going to have Brady throwing to him for another year. <laughs> I mean, the guy just – he gets the job done. And, you know, we're going to have 17-game seasons now, so he's going to be able to pad those stats a little more, I think. Um, but yeah, you know, when you start with Mike Evans, the guy who has a chance to be a hall of famer, um, the following year, obviously Winston was number one, but you got two bedrocks of your offensive line and Donovan Smith, who's gotten a lot better over the last couple of years and become a really solid left tackle. Ali Marpet, who's been the best offensive lineman on that team since then, uh, left guard. 
Uh, and then just making smart moves. 2018, you trade back from 7 to 12. You still get Vita Vea at 12, who's, the, in my opinion, the best nose tackle in the league. But with the picks that you got for that trade back, you take Carlton Davis, who becomes your, your best starting corner. You take Jordan Whitehead in the fourth round, who becomes a starting safety for you and a playmaker that was very key in the playoffs this year. So it's all over the place, man. You, you get Chris Godwin in the third round, who becomes one of the best receivers in the NFL. It's just when you're able to hit across all rounds, across all positions, and, and really maximize those picks – you get a guy like Scotty Miller in the sixth round because nobody really knows he's there and you sent somebody to the Bowling Green Pro Day, so you kinda you know, you know that you're getting that guy. It's just <laughs> just great work by his whole team. And again, this team was set up for success last year. They got just the few pieces they needed and uh they're gonna be a scary out again this year, man. It's funny, like Jason Light goes from and you, you said this before we started recording and I, I wanna bring it up. Like he goes from picking number one overall when he drafted Winston in 2015, right? And now he's picking number 32. So he's been all over the spectrum on the draft board, which is kind of kind of which is kind of fun. It shows the evolution of the team a little bit. Yeah, it really does. And and I asked Jason Light. We spoke to him today. We're recording this on a Wednesday, and I, and I I asked him what what's the best and worst things about about the difference, right? Is that when you're picking one, you know who you're getting, uh, you know, right away. Even when you're picking five or seven, like they did with Devin White and Mike Evans, you know, you kind of have an idea. Tristan Wirfs, they jumped up from 14 to 13 uh, to get him there. They've kind of picked all over the place over his tenure, but being at 32 obviously means you just won the Super Bowl, so that's the pick you always want to have. But when it go when you're going into the draft, you know, I, what I was asking and what he kind of responded with was, it's a lot harder to prepare for the eventualities and the scenarios. You have a lot less of an idea of who's going to be the best option there uh, that late. But guess what? When you have a Super Bowl ring, you don't care very much. <laughs> so um, I think he will we- he would welcome uh, this scenario instead of picking number one overall, even if it comes with a little bit of uh, more of a challenge and trying to figure out who you're going to get. And I saw this other article on Buckswire too, Luke, that it was like a ranking of the best GMs in football. I think Light was in the top three. I mean – this is a guy that's probably low-key one of the best GMs in the game right now, right? And I, I think a lot of people probably don't think of Jason Light. Uh, but when you look at the roster and the and the guys that he's drafted and, and how that's like the entire freaking starting lineup right now of a Super Bowl champion, he's definitely got to be up there, man. He's definitely on that short list of the best GMs in the game. Yeah, and not just because he drafted the core, but because he exhausted all the other moves too. Sure. I mean, yeah. look at look at the other difference makers. He traded a third round pick for Jason Pierre Paul. Jason Pierre Paul has averaged almost ten sacks a season in the three years he's been here. You know, he went obviously got Brady Gronk added AB, which gave them you know a, a wrinkle there. He he went and got Leonard Fournette, but also Shaq Barrett, maybe the best free agent signing in the NFL, maybe in the past five or ten years. He yes. went out and got yes. Shaq Barrett for one year, four million dollars. I think he was going to sign with the Bengals, but the Bengals were worried about like a shoulder injury or something. So they kind of backed out at the last minute. The Bucks come in and scoop him up late in free agency. He has 19 and a half sacks that year for $4 million. Crazy. Obviously, you know, they signed him to the franchise tag for last year. And now he's got the big long-term extension that he very much deserves. But Jason Light has not just proven that he knows how to draft well. He knows how to find value in free agency. He knows how to not overspend. In free agency, if you go back to his first free agent class when Lovey Smith was his head coach, he basically, you know, Lovey Smith was like, I want all these guys spend all the money. He spent all the money and they all sucked. So I think he learned a very valuable lesson his first year, which was like, okay, let's never do that again. 
let's do this a different way. And I think he's learned to, to be very, very smart, very economical in free agency. The scouting department obviously has a lot to do with that, the pro scouting side. And, and then again, being able to make that one trade here or there to get key guys. He traded for Steve McClendon last year, a veteran defensive lineman who ended up being a huge addition after uh, Vita Vea went down, obviously. So those small moves turn into big moves because they're just those last few pieces that when you add to that core and you go out and, and obviously you get a unicorn of a, of a move and trying to get into being able to get Tom Brady, but that's how it can all work together. If you know how to draft, you know how to be smart and economical and free agency and you can swing big when you have the opportunity to land somebody like that, that's when it can all come together. And that's exactly what we saw last year. So the countdown is on for the NFL draft to finally get here. We have Luke Easterling. We got to talk draft. We'll do it coming up next. All right, Luke, one thing I noticed in one of your latest mock drafts is uh, Trey Lance. You're, you're, you're getting a little stubborn with Trey Lance, right? You don't want to drop him outside of your top five. You just don't think he can slip, right? And there's a lot of different ways the Falcons could probably go at number four, but you are you don't want to mock Trey Lance outside the top five, which is, which is fun. It's kind of fun because he's a different kind of cat from North Dakota state. Hasn't played a ton of football in the past year. He's right there with guys from Clemson, Alabama and Ohio state. Right. So he's like kind of a fun unknown kind of player. I think to a lot of people that aren't like diehard college football fans. So, uh, Trey Lance is an interesting one. You're kind of, you don't want to let him slip outside your top five right now when you're doing these mock drafts. Why is that? I mean, I just think that when you have a incredibly talented quarterback prospect who, again, is still very young, has a whole lot of, of growing to do in front of him, and he's already as good as he is. He's got a rocket of an arm. He's got incredible athletic ability. He's a big physical guy who can run and, and bounce off tacklers, go through tacklers. He can you know absorb the NFL game and its physicality while being such a great passer. And at the same time, the, the thing I keep hearing from people who who spent time with him, people in the league, is that he's just as smart and impressive, you know, in between the years as he is on the field as a, as a physical talent. So when you, you put all those things together and you talk about the game's most important position, I don't care that he played in North Dakota State. I, I mean, I just – those traits and those things will always translate. And I feel like, again, you're talking about a guy who – He's probably going to sit the first year. You, you, no matter who drafts him, that's probably a, a, hey, let's let him sit and wait as long as possible kind of situation. But I think the only reason he would ever drop out of the top five is is a situation where Mac Jones does go number three. If that happens, which means Justin Fields is still on the board at four, I think that's where either the Falcons or somebody trying to move up, maybe they prefer Justin Fields, and understandably so, because I think Justin Fields should go number two. But that's a situation where I could see that happening. Maybe Cincinnati doesn't want to move down from five in that scenario because they really want to make their, you know, have their pick of Sewell or Chase or Pitts. Maybe they don't want to move down so nobody can get back up to five, you know, or even six because Miami wants to pick from all those guys too, whichever one the the, the Bengals don't take. So maybe you're getting up to seven to take Lance if he's there. I could see that happening. Man, I I just – if you told me, you know, that it's going to be Lawrence, Wilson, and then some combination of Fields and, and Lance in those top four, they're all worth it. I think they're all four worth taking a shot that high. Mac Jones is kind of the only one I'd be really iffy on that high. But that's just quarterbacks are too valuable, and you see too often that when there are good ones, they do not last in the first round. And that's why when you put it all together with the skill set that Trey Lance has, it's just hard for me to see that type of player at the quarterback position fall out of the top five i just don't see it happening well to that point it seems like 
trading back is kind of all the rage right now. It's a cool thing to do. Cool thing to talk about, Luke, right? The Dolphins want to be involved. The Panthers, the Broncos, the Cowboys, the Giants. Anyone with a phone, they want to be involved in taking these calls to uh, to potentially trade back. That seems like every team is kind of in the market to do this. I, I think Stephen Jones from the Cowboy, he was actually on the radio talking about this this week. So uh, everybody wants to trade back. What does that do to the market if you're a team like the Patriots at 15 or the Bears at 20 and you're looking to trade up and now you have all these different teams that are willing to listen to your like, can you leverage that as a team like the Patriots and Bears and almost maybe the price changes because all these other teams are getting involved? Like, what do you think about the trade back phenomenon this year? And I think it has everything to do with these this quarterback class. Yeah, I think you can get some leverage out of it. It just depends on a couple other factors. Obviously, the first one is, are you coming up to get a quarterback? Because if you are, I'm not coming down cheap. Sure. Um, and that's, that's, you know, we've seen that before. I it's remember like the, the one draft. the game almost, right? Yeah, you know, and when you're trading up for not a quarterback, it's always cheaper. I think the Dolphins moved up from 12 to 3 to take Deion Jordan that one year, and they only gave up a second-round pick. That's preposterous nowadays if you're talking about especially going up to get a quarterback. You know, the I, that was the move that the 49ers literally just made. They went 12 to 3. It cost them two first-round picks because everybody knows you're going to get a quarterback. So, uh, I think it depends on that. It also depends on how many teams are trying to get up because, yes, if you want to trade down and there are lots of teams trying to trade down, you can leverage that in that direction. But if you're bidding against other teams who are going up to try to get a specific player, then it you know the leverage kind of goes to the other side of the court and the team that's trying to trade down can say, hey – you know, I know you want to come up here and get your guy, but, you know, Washington at 19 is giving me this. 20, you know, Chicago at 20 is giving me this. I don't mind dropping back that far because I'll get more from them. What are you going to give me? You're going to give me a similar deal, even though it's a smaller jump for you? Or, you know, I'll just take their call. So you can leverage it a bunch of different ways. It just all depends. It's now is the, is the season for subterfuge and, and trying to be really shrewd about what you're doing. So it's. it's going to be, it's always interesting. I, I wish I could be in all 32 draft rooms. And just have, you know, I'll sign the NDA. I'll, I'll not tell anybody what I saw or heard, but just for my own fascination with the process, I would love to just watch those conversations go down and, and see all the different strategies and the different moves and how people try to move around because it's just fascinating to me. All right. One question I wanted to throw your way, Luke, because I saw you interacting with some of your Twitter fans or, or Twitter followers. The most underrated player in this year's draft. I thought that was a really cool question you threw out there. And for me, I'm just going to throw mine out there. I think Devontae Smith might be the guy. If he goes in the if he goes anywhere past number ten overall, somewhere in the double digits, I just feel like. And I know I think I saw the report that he came in at what 166 pounds. Now that's the new number, so it's going down. I was a senior in high school the last time I weighed 166 pounds. He's, he's losing weight somehow, Luke. Uh, he's got to figure out that thing. He's got to get you know the weight needs to stop falling off of this man. Um, but still, I just think he's going to be he's going to be a, a good player. I just feel like he might be the steal of the draft if he goes into the double digits. But what do you think? Who do you think is the most underrated player in this year's draft? Maybe it's not even a first rounder to you. I think there's a couple guys that come to mind. I think in in the first round range, uh, Aziz Ojolari, the edge from Georgia. I know I've mentioned him before. He's yeah. a the number two edge guy in this draft for me. I think he's probably the most complete guy. I think Quiddy Pay, obviously, that athleticism, his big frame, he's kind of versatile. I understand why he'd be number one, but Aziz Ojolari, like, there's just not a flaw. Like, he can play, I think, in any scheme. He's a great run defender. He can get after the passer. He's already got really great technique, so he's not a guy who's really raw, who's going to get into training camp, and you're going to have to clean up a bunch of his, you know, sloppy habits and mechanics really just a, a day one starter right out of the box, ready to go. And, and that's a top 20 player to me. So um, I see a lot of these edge guys going ahead of him and I just, I don't see it. I think he's a really quality player. 
You're talking about the later rounds. One guy that I've been on from the beginning is Demetric Felton uh, from UCLA, running back, wide receiver, slot. Look at what Anthony Gibson was able to do for Washington last year as a third-round pick. I think in that same range, if he's anywhere, if he's still on the board in day three for some reason, I think he's going to be a, a huge steal and in the right offense, I think. Thinking about him being in, like, Arizona, somebody with, like, Cliff Kingsbury where he can he can team up with Kyler Murray and they can be versatile and get him in space and, and let him do a bunch of different things. Just get the ball in a guy like that and get it in his hands because he's so explosive and versatile. He can make so many plays. So those those are two guys that come to mind pretty quickly. Interesting. And how about flip it around? What about overrated? What guy you think is going to get picked too high? And we're going to look back and be like, uh, Cleveland Farrell, number four overall. Tisk tisk. <laughs> you made the wrong choice, right? Like, who's that guy this year, you think? I mean, the, the the easy one for me, and I really hope I'm wrong, is Mac Jones. Because <laughs> um, I, mean, I learned from Kurt uh, Popejoy that you're an Alabama guy, so this has got to be painful for you. I mean, and that's, listen, let's full disclosure here. I grew up, my family is from Georgia and Alabama. My, my dad, are like everybody on that side, they're huge Alabama fans. So I grew up an Alabama fan, but I kind of I kind of admitted this to my family like last year or the year before where I'm like, guys, I, I've been – I've been following the draft and doing this as a job for so long. I've been covering the draft for 20 years. Like I don't really have any college fandom left. Like it's just been like bled out of me, not in a bad way. It's just like when you, when you do this for so long and you're just trying to evaluate these guys subjective, you know, objectively, it just, you get to the point where it's like, yeah, I guess that's the team I've rooted for this whole time. But like, yeah, I don't know. It just, a switch flipped for me to the point, like, to call myself an Alabama fan feels weird now. Like I just don't. And maybe it's the fact that they just kept winning over and over and over again. And when I swear, I tell you, when Devontae Smith caught that touchdown from Tua Tungavailoa in overtime, I genuinely felt guilt. That was the first emotion that I felt because that was just so mean. Like Alabama always wins and Georgia doesn't. And they just have it snatched out of their hands. Like I genuinely felt guilty. And I think honestly, if I'm being like, that was like the moment where I was like, I just don't, I don't care if they win anymore. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's just don't. It's, so at, at some point it becomes work, right? This is your yeah, job. Yeah. You know, I mean, but again, it's a, it's a good way for me. Like I like it. I, it's not like I feel like I can't root for them because like of some bad thing that happened. It's just like, I love my draft work so much and I love evaluating these guys and rooting for these guys that like when I turn on the TV to, to watch college football on Saturday, I'm not revolved around, you know, my happiness is not revolved around whether or not Alabama wins. It's about watching fun, you know, college prospects. It's about rooting for dramatic games that are fun to watch and that sort of thing more so than it is, uh, you know, hoping Alabama goes undefeated again. But that's just a long way of saying that you think Mac Jones kind of sucks, right? No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, he's uh, you know, overrated. Like said, maybe. He's going to go too a, high. He's a day two pick for me. And that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. He's a decent quarterback. And I think at the NFL level, he will be a decent quarterback. And and if you're okay trading two future first round picks to go up to number three, to get a decent quarterback, that's fine with me. But to do that, to pass up guys like Justin Fields, somebody like Trey Lance, who I think with a, you know, a little bit of time and development could be a really special quarterback. That's just silly to me. I, Mac Jones fell barely outside my top 50 players in this draft overall. So in, you know, in a vacuum grading scale that way, he's not a top 50 player in this draft for me. Obviously I understand quarterbacks are too important, that inflates their value and you got to take that guy earlier. I understand how that goes, but I mean, to, to have that guy in the conversation as a top five, top 10 pick when I have 40 other guys, 50 other guys ahead of them, that just, that's the easy one for me. And, and again, this is my approach to this is that any, any player that I think can't do something, I hope I'm wrong because let's be honest, that player has way more writing on his success than I do. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly honest about the fact that anybody who I think can't accomplish something at the next level, I hope they prove me wrong because I, that's, that's more fun for me than I, I see people sometimes, especially on social media, they'll be like, Oh, see, I told you that guy was going to suck. I'm like, why do you take pleasure in that? That doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. Like that person put way more work into trying to succeed in the NFL than I have into trying to write about it. So, you know, I try really hard to be good at what I do, but it, you know, I, I've played football too. I played college football at a very low level and I understand how much work it takes to be successful even at that level. And that's why it gives me such a great respect for the guys that, work really hard only to get told every Sunday that they suck. There's nobody in the NFL who sucks. I promise you right. there's nobody in the NFL who sucks. They all are very talented. They, it doesn't work out for one reason or another, but man, I, I want them all to succeed. I, I genuinely do. Always good stuff from Luke Easterling talking draft, man. You ready for the real thing? But a lot of yes, mocks, please, a lot of please, please, like, let's go. The <laughs> next, the next week is always the worst one, man. That's just, it takes forever. It's, it's time to go. I'm right with you. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.